myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is Andrew Davis, all the way up in the Northeast from in Connecticut at the moment. Andrew is going for a certification in accessibility documents for people with disabilities that may not allow them to view a website. So he has to make sure that websites are up to a certain standard so that those people can actually access and review those sites. So it's a fun conversation. We talk about finances and his fear of coming into a of wasting a large amount of money which is i think everyone's fear like if you were to all of a sudden come into a large sum of money how would you save and protect it from possible loss and so we talk a lot about the stock market and crypto and things like that and then we get into the conversation about his podcasting so let's get into that interview right now with andrew davis All right. My guest this week is Andrew Davis. Andrew is working on a certification with documents. And so he is he is hoping that goes through and then he can pursue a document, I guess, online document certification part job where you, I guess, stay at digital storage and things like that. Something like that, you know, dealing with accessibility and helping people mm. in the digital space and uh my fingers are crossed, everybody, that I passed that test because I don't know yet. I don't know. I got three more weeks of waiting, and it's a little scary. Ooh, that is a long wait. That is a long, like, we'll get back to you. Like, oh, <laughs> give it, give us a month. Uh, you know, I I need money, too, you know. Like, it's not <laughs> – you think I'm just like, let me just sit back in my mansion and just wait for your three-week turnaround. But it's interesting. Oh, I, I wish. I wish. Because if that was the case, I'd be on a beach chilling out. It'd be great. <laughs> you say accessibility, and it's very interesting because I was doing a comedy show this weekend, and one of the guys I talked to worked for like the he we he was in Fort Worth. It was in Fort Worth area, and they have a printing like come money, like the I guess Department of Printing, and you know that prints paper money. And he was talking about like how. The hundred dollar bill they had they have to come up with a way physically on the hundred dollar bill for a blind person to know that's a hundred like that's the that's what they kind of have been i guess that's their struggle is that they are trying to tactilely tactilely way make that and so it's very you know we had, we had discussed like maybe that it's you know a digital currency space of something like that that we have some sort of either read handheld reader or something that allows them to not be <clears throat> handed just a paper with some, with the same tackiness on it that allows them. Yeah, to walk no, out. that's so interesting. Cause one of the things, and it actually came up on the test and I don't know if I should be saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that when we change the money around in the U.S., now that the $100 has that strip in it, mm -hmm. that's sort of like a holographic strip, it actually made money more secure. 
Yeah. But it also made it more accessible because now it's clear. Now it has distinguishing features. So if you're blurry or you're like groggy in the morning, you can now tell what's a hundred dollar bill, what's a 20, what's a one, what's a five, because they actually made it distinct. And that was not what the U.S. government wanted to do. That was completely by accident. And it's a very cool thing when that happens and it proves that accessibility can actually be beneficial to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very cool thing. And I did not know that. But now that I looked at 100 and, you know, I'm like, oh, snap, that actually makes sense. It's kind of cool. So what made you like, I guess, pursue like this document accessibility and things like that? Like, is this a is it just something that was interesting to you or is it a personal venture? So I kind of just fell into it where I was looking for stuff and then there was a certification sort of hybrid class that came up and I applied. I got in and obviously I'm in the digital space doing a lot of podcast stuff. I'm building out my own class to some degree on a particular topic dealing with comic books. And I said, hey, you know, what is why not? You know, I was coming off of D.C. and now I'm in Connecticut and well, I would like to work. I need a job and I don't want to go back to D.C. anytime soon because while I love Washington, D.C., um, it is not for me. It is a very different environment. It is a very competitive environment. It is a brutal cutthroat environment. And I just think this job and doing document accessibility is going to be calmer, easier. Nobody's going to yell at me if you don't do something the right way. And it's not life and death. And it's not 16-hour days. So kind of fell into it and i think it's something i could do for the next 40 to 50 years easy mm-hmm. and uh just make some good money at it too and uh, who knows maybe i'll be working out of college and i'll get my master's for free yeah that's the- it seems like such a niche like industry too that if you could get really good at it that you could maybe like help others like either train or keynote speak on it you know like what your what your observations and advancements in it could be yeah, it's a really cool um, area to be in. And one of the things is that there's a lot of money that could actually be made in it, too. Uh, one of the cool things about it is that there's a section in the United States government called Section 508. So all these companies that have billion dollar um, contracts with the United States government need to be ha- if they deal directly with the government. So they have to be accessible. Those companies' websites have to be accessible. Otherwise, they are not allowed to submit. So there's just a huge business for it. And there are companies that will pay people millions of dollars if their website is not accessible. Because when you're bidding on a $10 billion contract, what's $6 million to make your website accessible? And so people think that you know the real money is working out of college. No, no, no. The real money is working for a company like Raytheon or Amazon wants a mm-hmm. government contract, their website's got to be accessible. And if they want the money and the government's money, there you go. So it's a very cool field to be in and it's endless and it's only getting bigger now. And so jump on the bandwagon and run mm-hmm. with it is what I say. So when you say accessible, like, I guess, what does that mean? Does it mean that it's not a secured site at any kind of place or is that a so accessibility is that there's different disabilities out there. Mm-hmm. Somebody might have low vision, for instance, and so they have a hard time seeing a website. And so the website needs to be made 
readily available that a screen reader, like a, a software like JAWS, which reads the text on the screen. And so it reads that. And if it's not properly tagged, it's not going to work. Or it could be that you put a link that says click here. That doesn't do me. I can see, and I'm presuming you can see, correct? Yes. So if somebody's blind and something says click here, they don't know what that link is, mm-hmm. you know? And so you might have to modify it instead of saying click here, go to, you know, my favorite wrestler is John Cena's profile, you know? And then now that person knows where it is or what happens when a blind person sees an image, that image needs to be described to them. And so that's just one thing. Or conversely, in podcasting, you know, transcripts and providing a transcript of the entire interview, that's an accessibility thing. Now, before anybody gets freaked out, um, if you are a sole proprietor and you're doing it as a hobby and you don't have a certain thing, you do not need to have a transcript for your podcast because you're not a big corporation. But if you're, you know, Amazon and you have the Amazon podcast and it's a company podcast, you're probably going to have to have a transcript. But I think you would want to have a transcript because don't you want as many people to see it? If I could afford transcripts for my episode, I would absolutely do it, but that's expensive. And so, but, and then there's stuff just like having it. So like the font size on a website can be Mm -hmm. adjusted and made bigger. Um, Also having it just so that maybe if you have a black and red background, you could change it to a white and black background. And then also now what they're doing is that companies like Forbes actually will allow you to hear the article. So you don't even have to, you know, do it. And I've done that plenty of time where I'm doing something on a different screen, but I want to hear what's going on on a website. And so I click play and it's like a 12 minute read and it's great. And I don't even view that as accessibility. I just say, Hey, you make my life easier. So Mm -hmm. it's super interesting. And, uh, I am just like maybe 5% into this. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know everything and, it's fast, but there's like real money and you can help people. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's awesome. And I, and I think I'm going to do good and I'm excited for it. Yeah. And I don't really know what's going to happen next though in my life. So it's exciting yeah. and but, terrifying. But at the same time with, if you do with your podcasting, like you, if you do get certified in it and you do get proficient in it, you could pr- transcribe your own, maybe find a way to transcribe your own podcasts. So what, what I'm betting on, and this is, this is, this is what I want Facebook to do. Facebook does transcripts and they do auto captions and you could turn that on. And that's a great tool. What I would love is that if they're already doing it, I don't think it would be that hard to write code that Facebook can just store all of that. And then maybe it's not a perfect transcript, but it's close enough that somebody can get the gist of it. And then you can just put it in like a PDF. And I don't think that that that's that hard to do that mm-hmm. where if it's already picking up and then what it can do from there is that that data can be stored somewhere. And then it's just associated with somebody could just open it up right on Facebook. And I think that would actually be awesome. And I think that Facebook's going to eventually get there. Yeah. If you can figure it out before somebody else, you could go to Facebook with it and say, here's your solution. And I know how to implement that's true, but but I would want pure stock yeah. in the deal. Just, <laughs> just pure stock, no 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 payment. I just want my stock because I know that the stock's going to go right up yeah. right after I sell it to Facebook, yeah. you know. And uh, I want them to just pay my trip there and back 
keep me in Cali for like three nights and I'll have a great time. And I'll go say hi to Larry Page and it'll be great. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can negotiate, you know, again, if they want it bad enough, they'll get they'll meet your whatever demands you have. Or if you want a lifetime position, you know, until I decide to retire, you know, I want to be. No, no, my, my demands are easy. My demands are easy. <laughs> I just want a Frappuccino every morning. Okay. Caramel. You just want you know, to watch, a shot of espresso. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to watch the stock the, price go up and up. <laughs> I, just, I For the three days I'm there, I'm very easy. I just want my Frappuccino in the morning. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a hard negotiator. I'm an easy individual. You <laughs> know, normal people in the negotiating deal, they're like, I need this and that. I'm like, just get me my little bacon Gouda egg sandwich, yeah. my Frappuccino. Wake me up at like 1030. We'll start the meeting at 1130. I'll be out of your hair in three days. And then I don't want anything to do with you guys ever again after I have my shares. But if you miss one day of my Frappuccino, that deal's off. Okay. Going to Google next because they won't screw it up. I promise. Well, it's very, it's, you're very, you're very, you're very, I guess, passionate about your Frappuccino would be another uh, one way of looking at it. That's, I, I, I have canceled deals things that are beneath this so clearly <laughs> i am prepared to walk away on a frappuccino level and you, i want to make that crystal clear here and you say you can't do cutthroat and here you are <laughs> you're not a this cut- is how we roll okay this is how we roll a five dollar and 16 cents per day the three days i'm in cali selling this idea to facebook if they mess it up one day that million plus deal dollar is off the table it's okay. off the table most people would think that it would be the issue would be negotiating the whole stock. No, 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 no. It's the five dollar and sixteen cents, everybody. That's all I'm going to say. It's the little things that count. Okay. Well, and the the little things are the things you remember. I don't. A lot of times, you know, there are big moments in your life, but it's. I would say your fondest memories usually are the littler <laughs> moments, like you know, littler things you do with your family, or you know, little trips here and there, not the. Not the big trip to Disney World or, you know, the little thing that happened while you're at Disney World. I mean, I mean, in all seriousness, <laughs> you know, you know, I would not break a deal over $5.16. Yeah. It would sure. be $5.17. Mm-hmm. I just want to make that crystal clear. But no, no, I, I agree. It's the little things that matter and not the big things. And every lesson in my life has been a little lesson that has actually per- helped me and has made me smarter better and more understanding of things because the little things add up and the little things do matter Mm -hmm. tremendously. So how did you come to decide to live in Connecticut? Is there family there? Is there home ties there that you brought you back or you just? Well, 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 it was, it was was a very easy choice. Um, I moved out of DC Mm -hmm. and I was sort of running out of money. And my rent in DC was $2,500 a month and money only lasts so long when you don't have a job. And well, my parents moved to Connecticut and uh, I don't have to pay rent here. So it was easy. And just so happens that all my friends live 30 minutes away. And so all my friends, we all grew up in New York and then all my friends moved to Connecticut within, I think a year and a half before my parents moved. And it was one of those crazy circumstances where we all ended up 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So us hanging out is only a 10 minute extra commute yeah. than where we all grew up. And it's kind of crazy. It's just a crazy world. So everything worked out, mm-hmm. I guess, 
and uh, I'm not paying $2,500 a month. Correct. <laughs> so, so that that's a lot of money, everybody. That's a lot of money when you think about it. Yeah, that's two and a half of my months of rent here. So, I I totally get that. Like that's that's always been my big fear of like losing my day job is is like the bill pay and then just the just the no longer no longer anything coming in and just trying to do the math do the broke math of how much money can i afford to do here 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 how can i survive oh I, i've been there i've been there no question about it where i have made a lot of money stretch out mm-hmm. and let's just say i know how to make a hundred dollars extremely elastic like a rubber band yeah and uh it's not fun it's not fun but moving forward in my life, I am going to make more money stretch out in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And people are going to be like, you're crazy. You know, you know, you got X amount of money and you're crazy. And the answer is probably, yeah, a little bit, but you know, it is, it, it, it's been a long journey to get to even that stage yeah. and a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of complicated stuff going on. And, mm-hmm. uh, definitely something that i think people you know it's, it's it's a good thing to go through yes when you don't have any money and you're just trying to make you know your rent and trying to get over a hump and trying to say hey can i buy a six pack of beer and and and, and there were you know weeks where i couldn't do that and it sounds little small but you know when you want to open up a cold one and you can't afford it yeah you know Oh, it's, it's everything. Like I, and it's, it's, you know, just those, it's the traumatizing things of losing a job and then find, and then going through the hiring process and having your ego bruised by, you know, interviewer after interviewer as, you know, they're like, you know, we're going to, we decide to go with someone else or, you know, we don't really think you're a good fit or, you know, just hearing that over and over why you just kind of, you know, sit, you know, sit on your hands and hope one of them, you know, you, you feel like the interview went well and you're hoping and then you just get that, you know, that either that email now, it used to be a phone call that said, hey, you know, we're sorry, we're going to go with somebody else. But now it's just like even just an email that says, hey, you know, thanks for hiring. Unfortunately, you know, we are pursuing other. So. I'll talk. I'll talk about that because because it's super interesting. So, I um my contract ended, so I didn't get fired. Mm-hmm. My contract ended where I was working. In the process, because I've been in transition for about eighteen months, you know, one of the things is that I've sent out like two hundred fifty, two hundred sixty job applications. I've got maybe ten interviews. And then, you know, obviously this program was paying me for certification study and class time and slight work time is like a hybrid model. And that's really helpful, but it's not a lot of money either. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know exactly. And now I'm going to be back in that process. I was working on my resume today and, uh, you know, but, but I'm going to, I'm getting up, I'm getting aggressive and you know what it is, I'm on for the best, but I also am smart enough that I'm looking at. I have a roof over my head. You know, obviously my parents aren't charging me rent, but I don't want to be in my parents' house anymore. I'm 29. <laughs> it's time to get out. And uh, I want my privacy and I want to do my own stuff. Yeah. And But I'm smart enough that I might extend my stay till next January. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of reasons why. A, money is mm-hmm. money. And if I could save myself an extra $25,000, 
if that means because I might want to not go back to renting, but to go into buying a place. Mm-hmm. So that's a big difference as well. And uh, I'm anticipating things that are going to get really messed up in the U.S. in the next six to nine months. Um, who knows? I I always there's always a panic, but at the same time, I feel like. There's so much money in so many different places that it's like, oh, it's almost like you, it's almost like you're finding stacks of money in couch cushions sometimes, or at least that's what it feels like. It's like you know, oh, we found. Well, I, I know, I know where there's a lot of money, but but it's not legal to talk about how to get it. So there, there we go. Um, yeah, fair enough. So are you thinking about selling down in Connecticut? Like, are you since all your friends and your families there? Are you? Like looking to the set route, maybe in Connecticut, or do you want to go back to New York? Or so right now, my my goal is to stay in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I would leave Connecticut is if I started a company and I was making over ten million in revenue. Yeah, and then you go to a place like Tennessee, Texas, Florida, because there's tax advantages to go to those places. Um, but as far as I'm concerned right now, um, yeah, definitely staying in Connecticut. Um, if all my friends are around here mm-hmm. and a few of my friends are still in New York, not everybody's in Connecticut, but a good majority of my friends from the third grade onward for all these years are 30 minutes away. You know, at this stage, I want to be close to my friends. If I'm an hour away from my friends, I could still see them a lot more yeah. than being six hours away. And so it's a big difference. It changes the way you function and there's also certain opportunities you know in connecticut and uh let's just say that uh well i'm in bethel connecticut if i move to stanford there's a lot of pretty girls in stanford so that that's a good reason to move to stanford everybody there's a lot of pretty girls in stanford it's a 29 year old answer (laughs) at 45 i'm 45 so it it yeah pretty girls but at the same time it's like i'm I'm a little old to be, you know, it's like, oh, but I don't. Hey, have... hey, 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 age is just a number after 18. True. So you were talking about finances, which is a kind of an interesting fear that you you had about finances. Go ahead and tell people what you're afraid of. Um. Afraid of seven, eight, nine, but that—that's not the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a given, everybody. Um, no, no, no. Um, one of the things that's very scary for me is that I came into some money, and it was a lot at the time. And my grandma passed away, and you come into you know about fifteen thousand dollars. I never had fifteen thousand dollars before. I'm legitly in my first semester of college. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what do I do with this? Because I've never managed money before. And it's very scary because it's not the idea that I've worked and I was slightly invested in some very basic things. We're talking like three grand. So three grand wasn't going to change my lifestyle. But all of a sudden, 15,000 can. And now it's like, what do I do with this? Because this is grandma's money. Another term for it is that it's God's money. And those terms... And you could call me Dave Ramsey, however you want to choose it. You know, I'm not very religious, but it's this idea that it's sacred money and I don't want to screw it up. Mm-hmm. And so for a while, I didn't touch that money. 
because I didn't know what to do with it. I'm like, am I going to mess this up? What do I have to do? You know, because I don't want to put it into just something that I'm gaining like 0.03% on. But it's then that's a big fear because markets are volatile. You know, markets go up, they go down. And it's just like you could put something into something very dangerous and you could lose it all. But my grandma just gave it to me as an inheritance. Mm -hmm. And she worked her ass off for it. Hopefully I could say that word on this. Um, but, but, but it's this idea that I'm now then, so there's a lot of paralyzing fear that obviously she, she's dead. So, so she, she can't feel, but, but, but it's that mentality where you're like, I need to be very, very understanding and intentional with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it's very complicated. And so that's kind of the fear I had. And then the fear then evolves into, okay, I'm now making sacrifices, which is what I was doing when I was working, that I budgeted out components of my budget. So you didn't see me in the bar on Friday night spending $100. You maybe saw me once every two months in a bar spending 100 bucks, mm-hmm. you know, because I was then proportionally investing my money in the stock market. And there's that fear too, saying, am I making the right choice? You know, am I making the right sacrifice? And is this thing growing? And then obviously 2020 was a third fear for me where my portfolio dropped by 37% in a matter in February. Mm-hmm. And so now you're like, oh my God, what do I do? I didn't sell anything and I'm doing better than ever, but that's also a big fear. Is there going to be a big crash coming and is it going to come back? And so that's all my fears with money is that it comes down to choice and it's that certain money is sacred, certain money has been earned, certain money has come at a great expense. And then how do you handle that money? And it's very paralyzing because sometimes if you lose $100, that's not the end of the world, but you lose 15,000 or you lost, you know, $1,800 every two months, it gets very upsetting. And then it's demoralizing. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the idea that if it doesn't come back or you lost that money, you know, you're not going to come back to the market. And then are you going to be financially stable and ready for, you know, to grow as a person and be ready for retirement? So it's all that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very paralyzing. And when you really dive into this, it becomes complicated. So that's a lot of where my fears come from. Yeah. And I feel like that's everybody's fear. I think that, you know, as somebody that dabbles on Robin Hood and stuff, it's like you can't, you can't get to, as like, I can't look at this too much. Otherwise, I'll, you know, I just, it's, it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, I'll just invest in certain stocks and let the chips fall where they may, but I'm only investing like $5 here and there. It's not a, it's not, you know, like you're like a large sum like that because again, you know, a percentage point of a dollar, like 10 cents of a dollar is just 10 cents, but hundred dollars is $1. $1,000 is $10. And then $10,000, you know, that's like, you know, a hundred dollars is just one percentage. And if it goes up more than that, then, you're looking at hundreds of dollars, like 5%, $500 gone. When when you start having 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, and a market goes down 30%, it's a lot of money. Yeah. And there's a lot of sways. 
I mean, I have cryptocurrency and I don't know if you know what the crypto market's doing, but boy, I mean, Ethereum is taking a bloodbath and it is scary. I'm not selling it. And obviously I don't fear as much as I used to. And I'm a lot more invested in the market. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I've overcome a lot of the fears that, that I have, but it is still very scary. Like I don't pretend that this is not, you know, I understand what I'm doing. I'm intentional. But the U.S. market has always done well. You know, the S&P 500, which is the top 500 stocks in the United States, it's um, an index fund and different companies mimic it. And they, they, they have their own versions of it. So they might copy 97% of it and then mix the other 3% they want in there because they think it's better for their clients. Yeah. But it's this idea that we, there's nothing wrong with that. It's almost an exact copy. You know, if they put in nine, if they put in 15 stocks they want that are not in what the index is, it's not going to affect it one way or the other overall. Yeah. But it's this idea that, you know, um, for, for, for me, with, with, with that, it's, I mean, that, that's risk adverting, but the S&P in the last 70 years has always done well over time. And I think, I think, you know, in the last 10 years, it's done like 13.6, I want to say percent wise. Um, and it averages, I think, either seven to nine percent a year on average over time. And it's always done well. I think for the most part in the last 70 years, it's done like 7.2% every single year. Um, but just because it's done that in the past doesn't mean it's not gonna it, it can do it in the future or it cannot. There is no guarantee. And that's also another think is you're investing and you're taking a risk. And so it's very interesting with all that. But, you know, obviously if it's worked for the last 70 years, I don't see why it's going to not stop working now. If that makes any sense. True. It's, I feel people would just, I think a lot of people think there's a balloon effect and that, that, you know, you, you, you keep inflating it to the point that it's just unsustainable. And then that's when you have, the huge, like, what was it, an 08 where we had like the 200 point losses and stuff like that on the stock market just because. And I think with day trading and things like that, that maybe there's even more volatility because you have maybe a, a broker who is more steady handed and won't sell where you have Johnny retiree, you know, sitting there watching his E-Trade account or Robin Hood seeing it go down and all panically, you know, sell, sell, sell. And I, cause that, that, I don't know how much you know about the stock market. So I think on Friday it was pretty bad mm-hmm. where there's big sell-offs <clears throat> coming off and I'm not selling anything I have in my portfolio. I have 20 stocks. I have some of the S and P, I have some mutual funds and obviously I'm not going to tell you or anything beyond the S&P 500, because that's already diversified enough. Um, but one of the things that I'm just holding on, and for me, I am long-term, so it doesn't matter what a stock is doing. And that also helps to deal with my fears in this area is that I am long-term, so I am not a day trader. Now, if there's a stock, so I bought Chico's and I'm out of Chico's now. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought that stock significantly lower and I had like a 300% rate of return and I got out of it, but that was an eight month position and it served me well. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem saying, look, I've reached a certain barrier 
And I have so much gains on this that this wasn't a long-term play. We're talking under $1,000. Yeah. So if I bought something at 200 and went up to 1000 but then I also moved that money into just a different stock. So I don't take mm-hmm. things out of my brokerage account. Um, also, though, I am a different investor, which also helps to reduce fears, which I'm a dividend investor. Mm-hmm. So every month, every quarter, I get dividends for my stocks, which helps me to want to hold on to them for years because they return capital to me that I can then do whatever I want with mm-hmm. or I could buy more shares with. And so now all of a sudden that changes the investing plan. And that's what also helps to break my fears as an individual is that the way I'm getting my money back is through dividends. Yeah. I am not getting my money back through growth. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in a different bubble. If a stock is paying its dividend, what do I care if it's at $30 or 26, if it's paying me my 50 cents every quarter? Yeah. And that changes the way you have an attitude. And this is why I think some people don't understand that they have a very big fear about money. And this took me a long time to figure out, you know, is how to do this and how to actually become a dividend investor. And then once I figured out a battle plan, I then had to go through building out a whole stock battle plan and building out different risk assessments. And I mean, we're talking probably six, seven years of me actually figuring it out. And doing what works for me. So this isn't, you know, an end all. tomorrow I just woke up, but I know the answer, guys. Right. Yeah. No, no, this took a lot of experimentation and a lot of me going slow. And I'm now doing okay with it. But there's still that fear that maybe I'm completely wrong and maybe I've been lucky this entire time. Yeah. And maybe there's no skill here. And that that could very well be the case. But I do think that that, that there has to be some skill, I feel. Yeah. At this point, because, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm the first person to say I'm wrong mm-hmm. about anything. Well, at the end, I think it's customizable to what they want, you want. Again, you're 29, so you have, you have time, you know, before you reach retirement age, you have 34 years or so of, of still working age before you can. That, that That's another thing too, is that you're 45. You have less room to screw up. Yes. And that's another fear as well. Where it, it, but but <laughs> then it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You probably you're a comedian, so, yeah. so 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 I'm a podcaster. We're both screwed. Yeah. You know. You know. I just have more time to continue mm-hmm. my screw up on Earth than you do. But that's not the point here. <laughs> I have I have a wicked sense of humor. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm a very dark brooding person, but the, the whole thing is that I understand that if I mess up, I, before my retirement age, I have 36 years minimum to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. You have a little bit less time. You got about 20. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole thing is that that's another fear is that people maybe have not been, and I hate to use, you know, a biblical position, but blessed, I think is a really good way to put it where I've been blessed I've, you know, figured it out at a younger age, which gives me more time to build wealth. And it also gives me more time where if I have a bad year, I could bounce back. So people sometimes don't figure out what I figured out until they're in their 40s. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that because hopefully you're making more money in your 40s than you made in your 20s. But even still, you have less time. Yeah. And also you have less ability that, if you make a mistake to fix that mistake. Yeah. And so that's something that I also think with money 
is very alarming. And then also all these people who are supposed to help people with money are bad. Yeah. Susie Orman did not help a soul. You know, she did a lot of damage to people. And that's another thing that I think creates fear, too, is that there's all these people who seem credible, seem really good, and they're not helpful. They're not helping you. You know, and there's all these gurus out there. And that doesn't help because then you get in their system, you pay a thousand bucks and you realize really quickly within a year and a half that that doesn't help you or a place like, you know, we trade or I forget like Tim Sykes, those penny stocks, like that stuff also doesn't help because you get burned and then you're like, I don't want to get burned again. Yeah. And that's another problem too with all this. And that creates a lot of fear. You know, I was fortunate that I picked up certain materials Mm -hmm. that gave me insight. You know, I've read rule one investing, you know, I've read, you know, I think it's Ben Graham's book. You know, which is what Buffett is based off of Phil Town, who follows Buffett's strategy. You know, I listen to people like Kevin O'Leary, Peter Schiff, Dave Ramsey's very good if you're terrified. Mm -hmm. And all of the people that I listen to have been very helpful, but I listen to where Peter Schiff does not agree with Dave Ramsey, and Dave Ramsey does not agree with Kevin O'Leary, and Ben Graham doesn't agree with you know, some of them on other points. And then I listen to some Bitcoin and crypto advocates. And then that's how I get my entire circle, but I'm not listening to Susie Orman, you know, or some uncle Joe on YouTube. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And again, you pull from various sources. You don't want one person telling you it's best to make an educated decision by playing the law of averages. If you're listening to eight people and five of those eight tell you this is a stock I would invest in. Maybe you do some more research on that stock. You don't just listen to one person that may say it's a good stock and be like, I don't trust it, you know. And then you have to, with especially with money, you can't just let one person because then, you know, they have control over you. It's almost like I mean, if your friend says, "Hey, throw a hundred bucks in Ethereum." Mm-hmm. That's perfectly fine. You could take a hundred dollar gamble on Ethereum. Yep. My friend did that to me, and clearly it's been beneficial. Yep. If I lost a hundred bucks to appease my friend, you know what he'll do? He'll buy the next two beers at, at the yep. bar the next week, you know, and it's a wash. Or he'll say, you know what, man, we're going out to dinner. It's on me. I screwed yep. up. It that's different. Then when you're going down the road and you're really making real sizable investments, but if your friend says, I want you to throw a hundred dollars into this stock every single week, you know, you're going to have to start doing some serious research on it or a stock just had an IPO. You're going to have to do some serious research on this stuff. And, you know, that's something that I think people need to fully understand and you need to really do your homework on this. And it's very important. I think that people need to, you know, and if you have fear, you know, the saying is that if you ever watch something on TV, so if you ever watch Shark Tank, mm-hmm. this, this, this is the best example. And I promise it's going to make sense to everybody. Um, if you look at an evaluation, you're like, I don't see why that company was valued at X. That probably means that you're missing some information. And the reason how this relates to fear is if you have fear with something, it's probably because something is telling you something is slightly off mm-hmm. or you don't have a certain amount of information yeah. available to you that is causing you to have an uncertainty. Correct. And you are naturally curious and questioning 
why yeah. you don't have this uncertainty and you need to go figure out that question. Now, it could very well be that I'm very skeptical of NFTs, for instance. Mm-hmm. I know why I'm skeptical of NFTs because I'm looking at the dot-com bubble and I think it's the exact same thing. I think it's tulips. Yeah. But I also have another problem with NFTs where is it built on the chain or is the link on top of the chain to the image? Mm-hmm. And that's my question. And I don't have a straight answer on that question right now. And it's a big debate. And that's a, and that's why I have a rational fear mm-hmm. of it, and I'm staying away. Cryptocurrencies, on the other hand, I understand certain cryptocurrencies, and I don't have a rational fear, even though one of them just got cut down by 50%. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference between fear is that I have a lot of questions about that NFT thing, and that's why I'm fearful of it. Yeah. And I understand it. And so if you're fearful saying, I don't want to be in the stock market, you should ask yourself a lot of questions and it's okay if you don't have the answers because if you don't have the answer, that means you're at least thinking or conversely, maybe you don't even know where to look for the answer and you have to ask the question, where can I look for so- solid yeah. sound advice? And then that'll throw into something else. Yeah. Not only solid sound advice, but like broken down and explain it in a way you understand. Don't just... Don't try to read a company portfolio, maybe, you know, <laughs> to, you know, because some of that stuff, I mean, you look at it and it gets, because I, I, I have invested in a couple of IPOs just out of a gas, you know, it's like there's this company who's coming out, it's like their portfolio looks really nice, you know, some of the things is like, okay, but man, you start getting into it and it's like, here's the projection, here's what we think. Uh, it's a lot of reading and if you're not, if you don't, you're not careful, you could miss, you could miss something that's. And you just, you have to know what to read. You don't have to read everything. You can, if that's your hobby, but you have to know where, what sections should, you know, you, you should basically look at and be like, check, check. But it is, <clears throat> investing is, I, I, it's a, it's a humongous fear because it's one of those things of, again, you're putting maybe not just your money. What if you're the head of the family and it's, you and your kids money like it's your it's your kids college fund it's your it's you and your wife's retirement it's you know your grandkids you know future that's a lot of i i am i am very very meticulous with what i invest in and, and look there, there are certain companies that that are always going to be great so all apple is a good one where apple microsoft you know there's a concept of just blue chip stock investing where there are companies that are going to be here for the next 50 years and you cannot screw up on. I mean, I mean, you, 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 I mean, you could screw up anything. I shouldn't say that I'm going to correct myself here, but it's hard to screw up Apple. It's hard to screw up Microsoft. Now you might not pull a Tesla out, but you know, if, or Coca-Cola, you know, you're not going to screw up those investing means but also what i say is that look most people are moronic at investing you know i invest in a lot of index funds too and the reason why is that the s&p 500 
You know what it is? I'll take an 8% gain on average over the course of my investment career. And if the, the, the statement is that if you throw $100 into the S&P every month from the ages of 25 to 65, you'll be worth $1.1 to $1.3 million by the time you retire. That is amazing. With the growth, the dividends, and everything that happens in between, you're buying a bunch of shares and you're income averaging in essentially, you're going to be worth a lot of money. So, and you know, what is the, the saying is that it's not that hard to become a millionaire in the United States. Yeah, It's not. And the greatest investment tool that people have is their 401k at work because a lot of people don't have control over their 401k. You know, I've looked at the government 401ks plan. They have, I think, like 15 or 16 options. And the way that the people, if you work for the federal government, you should start for the first 20 years. You should be in a very heavy, aggressive investment fund. Then you should slowly tame that thing downward. And by the time you're in your last four years, you should put all the money that you made in U.S. Treasury bonds. Yeah. That you can do. And so your last three years, you're going to be contributing and you're locking in only a guaranteed 2% on your money. But guess what? You made all your money in the 35 or 40 years you work for the federal government. Yeah. So that's what you should be doing. And, and, and investing isn't hard. But again, the federal government only gives you so many choices to do something with. But let's say you just go completely aggressive. You're going to be fine regardless. Because if, if you have time, but that's the thing is that you're not managing it. You can just control the risk tolerance. Yeah. And that's why the 401k is the greatest wealth building tool. Not to shoot at Grant Cardone, but he says the 401k is a scam. Grant Cardone is full of shit on that. Mm-hmm. He is wrong. And he is statistically wrong on that because most people are terrified by investments. And if people weren't scared and they had the financial education he would be more right, but he's wrong because people do not know how to manage their money. And it's very scary. It's a terrifying thing to do. It's a lot of responsibility. And when you take 80% of that away from somebody, they can handle that 20. And it's a, it's a very interesting thing. And so I understand that I am a, I'm a manager and I spent a lot of time learning this, Mm -hmm. but I did start off being very scared. Again, you know, having $15,000, never managing money before, that's a big responsibility. And you're 18 years old and it's yours to do whatever you want. And I'm like, what do I do? I don't know what to do now. I had my father. He's a good investor. That helps. But I'm lucky because my father is a good investor and Mm -hmm. very helpful. Takes fear away, but still very terrifying. And a lot of ways, I didn't touch it for a good, you know, 12 to 18 months, I think. I didn't touch, I didn't do anything. It was just sitting in a bank account. Like, it it, it sounds weird. And then I I can't explain that to anybody. And one of the reasons why I bring this up is that, let's say that somebody is here in this podcast and they're 42 and they've never asked their parents how much money they have. You'd be surprised when, you know, people's parents die, how much money they have. And they're like, oh, snap, I'm going to be inheriting $800,000. What? Like, because, you know, it's, it's, and then what do you do then? That's even a crazier part because you're emotional and you now have a lot of money yeah. at your disposal. And you'd be surprised. There's plenty of people who are like, I thought my parents were 
broke ass poor mm-hmm. and they're worth three million dollars and I'm getting 1.5. What do I do now? And as all these calls into Dave Ramsey, I was like, Dave, what do I do? <laughs> and like they don't know what to do. Yeah. And they've never managed money and they're making sixty-five thousand. And there's nothing wrong with making sixty-five thousand. Yeah. But they're like, I'm gonna have one point five million dollars and I don't know what to do, man. Like yeah. help. Like yeah. And because that's even more paralyzing. Yeah. Because the more you don't do with money, I guess, the more like it's almost like losing. So if you just have so, it in a so, checking account. If you have $1.5 million in a checking account and you do nothing with it, that's fine mm-hmm. because you didn't lose anything. Yeah. When you lose something is that if you put it into the stock market and you don't know what you're doing, then you've lost it. Or if you put it into a CD for two years, you're like, I don't know what to do. I just lost my mom. I'm going to screw it up. You know, and you, Dave Ramsey is not going to yell at you. If you did that, if you put it into a naked option, which I don't even know what a naked option is, Dave Ramsey's going to screw, yell at you. If you, there's a series of moves that you can do that you won't lose. If you inherited $1.5 million and you paid off your $300,000 house, that's a great rate of return by definition. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what to do, if you just leave it in the bank and you're like, I don't know what to do and I don't want to deal with it, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually probably one of the best moves to be made. Even though you're going to lose money on inflation, you're not losing a tremendous amount yeah. because the only thing you lost was an opportunity gain. Yeah. Because once you enter the market, you can have a gain, neutral, or a loss. Okay. If you put your money in a bank account and in a savings account, you have neutral or gain. You do not, The loss is so minimal that it doesn't count. Okay. So, so, so that, that's something that's very important that I think people need to understand is that your loss on $1.5 million in a checking account is going to be legitly like $15,000 at the most, yeah. which is nothing, which is nothing. And that, that, that at the most, and I'm being very generous, assuming that that's how bad inflation is. Yeah. I have my 401k, I think set at 10 or it was 10, like the last few years. And now it's at 12% of my, of my check to pull, um, and it's livable and it's it's one of those things where my dad is a good saver like yours i'm sure he just told you you know you take it out before you get it in your hand you never know it exists and so it it becomes it becomes like you you amass the savings because you don't realize it's there and you just you just ignore it and don't touch it My, 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 my dad is a, in his own business, he's an attorney, he's a sole practitioner. Um, and so when he gets a check, he doesn't have a 401k. He doesn't have, he's his own boss. He's a litigator and he's a high earner, but he gets a check and he divides it into four components. It's bills, <laughs> investing slash saving, um, taxes, and then sort of a rainy day fund. And that's how it works. Now, my dad has a lot of nice toys. He's a big baseball fan. He buys autographed baseballs. And so obviously you have fun money and all sorts of cool stuff like that. But it's this idea that he makes as much money investing as he does as an attorney at this point. And I will, my job, technically speaking, is I have four or five jobs right now. Obviously, I have a podcast and that's, you know, sponsorship proof. And as I'm getting sponsors, I'm getting paid. Um, I, I buy and sell comic books. I am an investor. 
And then when I get a regular day job, I'm going to have that. And then, you know, that's kind of what I do. And then I do side hustle stuff. I do a few other side hustles, a few other consultation stuff. And so I have multiple streams of income. And so, but my investing, it is slowly and it will slowly at a certain point exceed my traditional day job. But that doesn't mean you quit your day job. Correct. You, you don't have to, you don't have to have your main profession be investing, but if you do it right, your job as an investor should exceed your day job. Your day job should be what you live on. And that's what should fuel the secondary things. That's your second income stream. And I'm going to say this, you can make money in stocks. You can make money in crypto. You can make money in index funds. You can make money in bonds. You can make money in real estate. I don't really care how you make your money as an investor. I care that you understand it. And what breaks fear consistently is this idea that knowledge always breaks fear Mm -hmm. and understanding it. And fear is a good thing because fear makes you ask questions and justify your claims. And what I think is that I think people are very scared because they don't know where to turn to. They don't know where to look and they don't know where to say, hey, I want these answers. And then also they're like, I don't want to make the sacrifice of going out with the boys for a risk. Mm-hmm. I know that if I go out with my friends and to the bar and we drop a hundred bucks every week, we're going to have a good time. But if I buy four shares of this company, it can go up, it can go down. It is returning me some capital, but that's a hard risk while I'm sitting at home, maybe watching television or, you know, maybe I go to the liquor store and pour myself a bottle by myself. But if you do that in your 20s and you suffer in your 20s, in your 40s, you'll own the bar and you won't even want to go to your bar because all the cool kids are at your bar and you don't want to drink the liquor because they could out drink you. Yeah. So you'll own the bar, but you won't go to the bar and you'll be in your bed because <laughs> you'll be like, it's nine o'clock already on a Friday. Boy, am I tired. Yeah. So you only want to go to the bar, but you'll own the bar. You can go to the bar anytime you want and get whatever you want to drink because you didn't go to the bar in your 20s. Yeah. So what is your just so I thank you for doing this. What is your podcast about? So what is your or do you have more than one? <laughs> I have I have two, technically three, but, but the third one is shifting right now. Okay. Um. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I think it's snowing outside. I like the snow. It distracts me. Um, but, 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 so, so my first one is called Pop Anime Comics Lounge, and that is on iTunes and SoundCloud and anywhere where you can get your podcasts. And I interview professional wrestlers, comic creators, writers, artists, um, cosplayers, and voice actors. And I typically like to deal with people who are more industry professional and have bigger followings and are more professional. And then COVID hit and I actually created a spinoff show out of my first show that deals with similar topics, um, but focuses more on people who are smaller and are indie comic creator people. Um, And so I do a lot of indie comic creators and that show is currently the only one that's active. Pop Mm -hmm. Anime Comics Lounge is on hiatus, um, but Conversations About Culture is uh, currently active. And yeah, I do a lot of interviews in 2020. I did 90 episodes. Wow. on Facebook Live and YouTube. So all live, bunch of guests, had a blast. Um, one of my favorite guests is Jesse Flower. 
uh, Jesse Flower is Toph from Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. So super cool um, thing. And then I did Lisa Ortiz as well, who's the voice director for the Netflix Pokemon show. Really cool stuff um, in that regard. And then I've had a bunch of other cool people on my show in the wrestling world. And so in 2020, I did 90. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2021, I did 172 interviews live. Wow. Um, Yeah, I, I have a blast. And then this year... I am aiming to do possibly 200, but I think I'll wind up around maybe 180. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to do about 15 to 16 um, a month. And I actually just funded on Kickstarter a few nights ago. Um, my Kickstarter is still active. So um, you can go check that out. It's Conversations in Pop Culture on Kickstarter, or you could just type in Pop Anime Comics. Um, that's good till January 31st. So I don't know if this is going to air before or after, but that's okay. okay. Um, I'm super stoked because I got funded regardless. And my goal was $750 on Kickstarter. And it doesn't seem like a lot of money. But when you're in between jobs and now you now, now I don't have to worry about my stream yard. I don't have to worry about, you know, my hood suite. I have some cool stuff up there and I got some cool swag that I'm going to be throwing up on eBay, like a metal card and some postcards, which I'll probably send. If somebody wants a postcard, I'll just probably send you the postcard with like a note if you ask for it, because I'm going to have mm-hmm. a bunch of extra. Um, but the metal cards are going to be up on my eBay store. And uh, yeah, and I just love it. And my third podcast is going through a revision right now where I'm going to be talking about comic book investing. Mm-hmm. And so really going through basics and it's a show, it's a YouTube slash, you know, interview type hybrid show where we do some interview stuff on there and we talk about the industry and a variety of other stuff. And I just want to give people some free education on that stuff. Um, but yeah, I love interviewing people and I'm sponsored. Obviously the Kickstarter for the show is great. And then I also have sponsors for my show. And uh, before anybody asks, I do want to make it crystal clear that I started that show conversations in pop culture because professional wrestlers voice actors and indie comic people and cosplayers were getting screwed with conventions being shut down and i never ever thought i would ever get a sponsor um i was just asking for donations where somebody was like hey i'll throw you 15 bucks because i want you to survive another month and a few people did it which helped tremendously but uh for the first really two years of that, it was out of pocket and I was super, super happy to do it. And uh, sponsorships are, are a good thing and they help. And uh, very, very lucky. And uh, that Kickstarter is a big deal for me. And uh, a- absolutely, that's what I do. And uh, I could, so I'll tell you where the show can be found. Mm-hmm. So, so conversations in pop culture can be found on my Facebook page, which is Pop Anime Comics, or it could be found on YouTube under Pop Anime Comics and sometimes on Twitch. And if we reach a thousand or get pretty close to a thousand, we're actually going to come into a podcast format. And so I don't know exactly how that's going to come out episode wise, but uh, all the episodes are going to be up there and that's what's going to be free. Uh, the show's free to watch. And I usually shoot out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 7 p.m., 9 p.m on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And occasionally we have guests randomly, but you can watch all that stuff on replay and I'm having a blast doing it and I'm making some money doing it. And my Kickstarter is funded and uh, who knows me. I'm just lucky. Yeah. I mean, what is your, since you do comic book, what is your most valuable comic book in your possession? What is your radioactive man? Number one, <laughs> if we go for Simpsons. Uh, I, I have an ultimate fallout four. Okay. So, uh, if for, for those who don't know, um, that is the first appearance of Miles Morales. 
from, you know, into the Spider-Verse. So that's his first appearance. Um, and so that's a very expensive book. And it goes up, it goes down. Um, at one point, it was a $1,200 book. I think it's like a $400 book right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why it's the most valuable is that I got it for free. So it's pure profit. And I have two of them. Um, it technically is not, it's the most valuable because it's the most profit valuable. But the other few books that I have that are really cool is I have a Stan Lee, J. Scott Campbell signed set of Spider-Man 700 mm-hmm. and Superior Spider-Man 1. The covers connect yeah. together and it's graded. So it's actually authenticated by CGC, which is a grading company that witnessed the signature. J. Scott Campbell did the artwork on the book mm-hmm. and Stan Lee created Spider-Man. And so you have both of them signed on the same day. It's graded. They're this the third highest grade, which is a 9.8, which is the top grade. Both of them are really great books. And that book on eBay is going for anywhere from, you know, like 1600 to like 3,500, depending on where it's signed, who's selling it, what people are paying for and everything in between. And it's only going to increase in value because it's a very valuable book. Yeah. Um, and so, but those are not my favorite books. Yeah. It's a very unique piece, though, because it's a cover that connects to the other cover. So it's definitely a really. It, it also it also had an extremely low print run. So I think there's maybe only like a thousand or twelve hundred of the set. And so I had three sets. I sold one set. Um, I didn't have three sets graded. Um, three three sets signed and graded. I had three sets graded. So I sold a non signed set. Um, and I sold that for about 385. So just the two books, and it was a 9.6 and a 9.8. I have another 9.8 and 9.8, and then I have my signed copy. So there's real money. So the 9.8s mm-hmm. um, that are not signed by Stanley and J. Scott Campbell, um, that's like a 450 to $500 book set. Um, meanwhile, these books, just so before, I'll break down the economics. A Stanley signature before he passed away was $120. J. Scott Campbell signature is $30. So that's $150. Grading is $30. So that's $180. And then the books themselves were $10. So we're talking about $190 per book is put into these books um, when they're all signed and done. Um, unsigned, getting a book graded is $20. And the book is um, $10. So for the pair, it's a $60 investment to pull out. 500 bucks yeah so that's how all this stuff works so uh it's super super cool stuff and yeah. uh yeah so I, I mean i love it it's it, they're fun to look at and uh since there's so few of these books out there when you throw them up and people are like oh man that's cool you got that i got one too yeah. and then like I'm, i was just speaking to somebody on facebook and we're going back and forth for like 40 comments just talking about comic books in this group and it's a unique bond and it's, it's a really cool hobby and there's real money to be made. Especially now with, again, with the miles Morales and everything like really taken off with the spider verse and everything. I think, I think that that's probably been like one of the, I would say for me, as far as someone that doesn't watch have a lot of comic books, but has watched a lot of Marvel movies. That's like the biggest, that's probably biggest comic book character in this century. Cause like you, hey, it's and- okay. It's okay. You're a comic book fan. It's all right. Everybody's a comic <laughs> book fan. You do not have to be in yeah. comics. I'm an inclusive comic book guy. Yeah. I don't believe that you have to have a comic book to be a comic book fan. Okay. Some people do. I don't. 
I personally think that if you're like, hey, I like the movie. This is an awesome movie. I like Into the Spider-Verse. Netflix has it on that thing. I'm in. I want to go see certain movies. Now, I don't love everything that Marvel puts out. But again, I enjoy those movies. Yeah. You're a comic book fan. It's all right. All right. It's, it's all good. But yeah, I was just like, he's the, he's probably been the most impactful comic book character of I would say my generation like as far as like alive like there's been some comic book characters that have come out you know like uh what spawn and things like that but <laughs> but I would say you know somebody that's really like I would say they ignited like a comic book I would say almost a renaissance with kids and stuff is that Miles Morales is kind of really so did you know about the movie one of the coolest things about that movie is that if you notice the progression of the movie he is glitchy purposely throughout the entire movie and as he's getting more and more and more experience and assuming the role of spider-man he becomes less and less and less and less and less and non-glitchy at the very end of the movie and that is something very 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 cool about that movie that people do not pick up on and it's also the different speed he operates compared to the other characters mm-hmm. slowly's catching up and there's so much cool stuff, and uh, it's awesome. And I'm super stoked for Into the Spider Verse too. I can't wait for it. And it's he, gonna be great. He may be into the regular Spider Man because they with the with the Spider Man No Way Home, they've really they kind of opened the door to Miles Morales. Like they kind of hinted at it, you know. Like so, is you know maybe there's a black, you know. So I think they said that you know maybe there's a Spider Man where there's not white or something like that. <laughs> Like I, could, hey, 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 I'm down for it. Yeah, and I, just, I was like, they just they opened that door by having the other Spider-Mans like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield by calling it the, you know, like the Spider-Verse and everything else that you could turn that into canon with the movies and then that would even, you know, alo- and they also referenced it and uh, <laughs> was it the first Spider-Man that Daniel, Donald Glover was in? I think so. I think so. I thought I saw a YouTube clip where he says, "My cousin Miles," where he when he straps him to the thing, and cause he says something like, "My cousin Miles." And so uh, you might look <laughs> that up on YouTube. You might deep dive into that, but I think he, they're try they somebody's like tried to start to, like in YouTube, try to pull it out and say, you know, maybe they are, you know, going to pull Miles Morales into, you know, the Spider Man Venom saga and everything else to kind of go that route because i think they said something like a donald glover's character when he's like trying to steal a car or whatever or stuck to the when he webs him to the trunk that he's like yeah my cousin miles or something like that you're like my cousin yeah no it's 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 they're they're doing something right and uh you know you know it's gonna be funny and he's gonna get a live action movie and and i'm not too sure who's gonna play miles morales but it's not gonna be michael b jordan if michael b jordan was a little bit younger i think he could pull it off but I think Michael B. Jordan at this point is a little too old to play Miles yeah. Morales. But, you know, you know, I don't know who they're going to find, but I hope they find somebody good. I got a feeling they will. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's going to be great. And I'm stoked for it. I mean, I'm excited. There's only a few key issues of Spider-Man you need. An Ultimate Fallout 4 is one of them. And you need a 121, which is when Peter snaps Gwen's neck. And uh, I do want that book, but that book's a little bit out of my price range right now. Yeah. And, uh, a good 9.8 of that book is like 6,800 to like 8,800, depending. Wow. So, uh, 
that 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 that's a gift that 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 instead of, that that my wife will get me for like our twentieth anniversary when I have a wife. That's like that's like the type of gift that 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 somebody gets you for 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 your anniversary of being married for twenty years. Yeah, and they're like we survived. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again for doing this. Uh, where can people find you on social media, Andrew? If they, I know we well, well, pub the podcast and comic and all that, but if they wanted so, to get in so, touch with you. So first off, if I owe you money, I don't just end right here, please. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but if I don't owe you money and you just want to say hi to me, um, obviously you can come bother me on Twitter at pop anime comics. You can come bother me on Instagram at pop anime comics. Um, my Facebook messages are open. Um, at pop anime comics on Facebook. I have a website, pop anime comics. Um, my email is Andrew at pop anime comics.com. I check that once a week. So if I don't get back to you, don't take it personally. I try to get back to everybody. You know, you might get a response a few days later. All my DMs, though, on Twitter are open. My DMs on Instagram are open. Um, Facebook is always open. So if you have questions about comics, podcasting, you just want to know more about investing or you just want to know resources, I'm more than happy to point you any direction. Also, if I don't answer you on Facebook, just bother me on Twitter because, but you know, say, Hey, I saw you on a podcast. I'm more likely to respond um, to you in that realm. Um, so that's kind of everything. If you want to buy comics for me, I am pop anime comics collectibles on eBay. Okay. So I do have like 150 stuff up there and I'm getting some new merch with a guest that I'm having on, um, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, but, but I don't want to talk too much about it. It's, it's a really big deal for me mm-hmm. and I'll be picking up some of his merch and he's got a very unique style. So you'll be seeing some of that probably in about three months mm-hmm. in my store. Um, but yeah, if you just have any questions, those are the best places to reach me. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, subscribe to this podcast, will you, everybody? And you should go do that. And I'm not being paid to say that, but seriously, go subscribe to this podcast. Cause this is a lot of fun. And, uh, I'm enjoying it. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for doing it. Uh, well, we could do it again when you have another fear. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would have fear of heights, but, but yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that's as fun as, as, as yeah. having a fear of money. Yeah. that I mean, but it's definitely like, and it, it, it only grows as people again, because they don't have a bill paying or investing math class, you have calculus and all this stuff. They don't have anything. I wish the public schooling system would have something like a monetary math class that you could take somewhere between like your sophomore and junior year before you start the workforce to say, hey, this is money. This is what you can do with it. And, you know, just kind of give them a give them a roadmap because 20 year old Ryan paid his cable bill before he paid his electric bill and then just sat in a dark apartment for a month. I, I will I will say this, and it's a very controversial statement, but I made it before. Um, if we had a pick between choosing um, reading literacy or financial literacy, we would pick financial literacy first. Mm-hmm. And 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 that that sounds like a crazy statement, but I don't think it is. Yeah. I think when when you look at the gains and the lack of gains, financial literacy is is a bigger problem than than reading literacy. Yeah. will ever be i don't think re- i love to read and i i could do without reading literacy i really could it would not be necessarily a fun life but if we had to pick between what we were teaching and we had to make those hard decisions 
financial literacy would be a better choice. And I, it sounds controversial. And I know exactly how it sounds. I said it on a podcast like two days ago, and I'm going to keep saying it. And I know that people are going to be pushing back at me on a lot of levels, but that's how I feel. And I'm willing to take some flack for it. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck in your accessibility certification and all your all your comic book sales and everything else going on you got going on. Thanks again, Andrew. So that was Andrew. That was an amazing conversation. I learned a lot about money and savings and stocks and all kinds of things that I didn't even know. And I have a Robinhood account that is just barely limping along because I just put little pieces of money in there at a time. Nothing like too, too extreme so that I don't end up losing, which is a huge fear. Like I can't imagine just losing all of your money and starting over especially at my age, like any age, it's, it's bad. But in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, that's, that's just devastating because you don't have a way, you don't have the time frame to recover financially from some of these mistakes. So make sure you check out his podcast, Conversations in Pop Culture, as well as his other ones. And I hope he does some more money. Like I would love for him to do like a money talk podcast and stuff like that, maybe to to help people with finances. I thought it was very educational. As for me, I've been home around town cleaning and with storms and everything else. I've had my plants inside. I've moved them back outside. I've got shows coming up in February and, and in March. And so I'm excited. I got shows coming up. I'll be headlining the comedy arena in exactly a month from now and March 11th and 12th. Come out to that. Should be a fun show. I'll have Scott Crisp and Mallory Davis on the bill. It should be a fantastic time. Also, if you like the show, leave a review wherever you can. Um, Five-star review would be amazing. If you have feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to the Some of All Fears podcast, and have a wonderful week. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O, like water. You can also follow him on Facebook. Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns, that's G-U-N-B-U-N-S, as well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S, at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me, 
on social media. I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there. And you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.